Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, September 9th. This week, I'm pleased to share a conversation with Sharaf Tajer, the French-Moroccan designer behind Casablanca, a business that Sharaf started with just 3,000 euros and which has tapped into the growing demand for both men's and women's resort wear. Casablanca is now doing more than 45 million euros in annual revenue. But Sharaf's rise in the Parisian fashion scene is also exceptional because of who Sharaf is and where he is from. As one of the few people of color working at the very top level of French luxury fashion, Sharaf has learned that no matter how high his star rises, he still faces discrimination related to his identity as he travels in these elite spaces. This only makes him want to work harder to break down barriers and become a role model. You don't want to miss this one. It's a special conversation, and I'm grateful to Sharaf for his vulnerability and candor. Here's Sharaf Tajer on the BOF podcast. Welcome to the BOF studio to have this conversation. Hello, hello. Hello, Imran. How are you? I'm very well. I'm so excited to have this chat with you today because 
we've kind of had this chat in private, but I always like to share these conversations with a wider group. And you and I have had the opportunity over the last little while to get to know each other a little bit. And I guess everyone listening will know you for the incredible success of Casablanca, the very clear signature that you've developed. Thank you. That's recognizable on the street, but also on e-commerce sites all around the world. But I want to go back to the very beginning to where Sheraf Tajer came from, you know, your family background, your personal background. Tell me a little bit about you and, you know, your family and, you know, how you came into this world. Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Paris, right behind La Gare du Nord when everybody arrived in Eurostar. There is a hospital over there, and this is exactly where I'm born. My family is from Morocco, actually, Casablanca. This is where my parents met. In an atelier of couture, they were working together, side by side, in Casablanca. There was an a-, a couture atelier yeah. in Morocco. Yeah. yeah, it was like few couture ateliers, and they were working there. Okay. And this is how they met. I think my dad loved uh, my mom, and, and my mom loved my dad, and they start like being friends and then like they fall in love. And this is why the brand is named Casablanca is a dedication to where my story started. Even if I'm born in Paris, I always think about those moments where like two strangers working together, falling in love. Yeah. And this is the beginning of my story. And would you say then that fashion is in your blood because they had this experience in the couture atelier? Like how did that impact you growing up? Yeah, I think like uh, we always have machines at the house. We always have a machine like uh, my dad used to make me clothes when I was younger. We used to uh, window shopping in Paris and come back with like some sketches. And my dad used to make me miniature of leather jackets and and things like this. And my grand grandpa, he's also a sewer. So I have it from my mom, from my dad. And for my dad's family, there is a lot of musicians as well in the family. So I guess somewhere yet yeah, it's in the blood and, and my family name in Arabic means uh, trader. So I guess fashion is 50-50, is artistic, but it's also business and I might have it in the blood somewhere. Hey, you know, I believe that. This is called the Business of Fashion podcast. So I agree. <laughs> I agree with that. So what was it like for your parents? Because when did they move over from Morocco to Paris and what brought them to France? I think my parents wanted a better life, you know, as like most of the migrants' parents, they just like see more opportunity in a different land. So as they were saying, it's always hard to leave your friends, to leave your family on the back. So we're here, we need to work and make the best out of the the moment because, yeah, they came for that. They came to have a better living. And also it always stays in my mind because I don't want to waste the opportunity that my parents created for me. Mm-hmm. And I always was very um, aware of that. So that's why I've always been a, a very hard worker because I think like they sacrifice so much for us and it's only fair for me to use the opportunity. Did they work in fashion when they moved to France? Or my dad, yes. My dad used to work in ateliers here and there. But my mom switched it to a cleaning lady. So it's something that stays in my mind, you know, it's like, my mom going and clean the houses of people. So I have to make a living when I'm growing up. I want to make a better living for me and my family. So that's always stays with me. But also going with her to this couple of lawyers, Monsieur and Madame Javal, they were living in a 16 in a very beautiful apartment with brass uh, entrance uh, of the elevator. They were playing tennis. They were playing golf. And you used to go with her? I used to go with her. So I used to play with the kids and the daughters used to have like those like very beautiful haircuts. And I think it stays with me. Like honestly, like I think I got something from there and I think you can see it. And this is where I seen actually my first Hermes scarf. And it blew my mind because I was like, this is in the world of adults and this all those colors in a piece of fabric. And I didn't really knew what it was, you know. Right. And I think it stays with me. And with the time, like I start to know them more and more. And they kind of like mentor me in, in a way because they were explaining me all the, the things they used to explain to their grandchildren. So I learned. So for people listening in other parts of the world who don't know what the 16th 
arrondissement stands for in Paris. Can you talk a little bit about that and yeah. how that compared to where you? So me, I grew up in Belleville in, in an area where like it's very working class, you know. The 16 arrondissement is the most bourgeois area. People have beautiful houses. Some people have tennis courts. It's like the most bourgeois area of Paris. If one wanted to say it in like really explicit or direct terms, one might say the rich white establishment. The richest white establishment area. Right. And so you come from this like immigrant family, moved to France to have a better life for themselves, but also for you with this kind of fashion DNA going back a couple of generations. When did you first realize that this is actually not just something that is in your history, but also part of what you wanted to be part of your future, like your work today? Yeah. My mom always joke about this because I always, till my 16s, 70s, I always rejected a bit this part of like this fashion background that my family had. I always said I want to do different stuff. I don't want to be in this. But my mom still, till today, having fun of me because she say, the apple don't fall far from the trees. Like you try and travel the world and like try to be someone else. But now you're doing kind of the same thing that we used to do. So it make her laugh. Yeah. It's a bit natural. Was there a moment, though, when you realized that this was something you wanted to pursue? Actually, it came very gradually because I had a problem is I never seen anybody that looks like me who was a fashion designer. So it was hard to believe that I have a point of view. And it takes me like almost 10 to 15 years to call myself a designer. So it wasn't one time, actually, it's like gradually, I remember having like epiphanies about like the fact that I can be that guy, but it's true that like it took so much time before I accepted to call myself a designer. So how did you break in then? Like, what was your first experience on your own working in or around the fashion industry? How did you even see what a designer looked like? Yeah, my first experience was in the backstage of Rick Owens. I was quite young. What year was this? Or how old were you? Maybe I was 19 or something like this. Okay. Backstage wow. at Rick Owens is pretty Yeah, because we, pretty I, was cool. inter- I was interning in uh, the mom of my best friend at the time who was doing production and scenography for them. So somehow I got access to this backstage as someone who's going to help. But I was very curious about fashion in general. So this is where I saw the first time Michel Ami and Rico Wentz. And I was like, but how those people have like such an extreme aesthetic making a living out of this. It's like, who's buying those clothes? And they make me understand that like, you can really express whatever form you want. You're probably going to find your public if it's a true uh, expression of yourself. So I learned a lot, like those few shows that I've been on the backstage. And I understood that, yeah, uh, identity is something like you can really express the most extreme way you want. That's so interesting because I remember the first time I went to a Rick Owens show and that I met Rick and Michelle and eventually was able to go to their home at the Place du Palais Bourbon and see that the brand that they created in a way together was really just a full, complete, physical manifestation of who they are as people. Yeah. And it's so authentic. So And so aligned with them as individuals, with their values, and yes, with their aesthetic. So when you saw that, how did it make you feel? I didn't know how to process it. I just understand that it's amazing. I just understood that it was like something quite surrealistic about it, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really understand what it is you you know I was just like it's amazing it's so personal I can tell like this guy recurrence with his long hair and like drape pants and t-shirts it's surrealistic those guys look sometimes like monks on the catwalk and all of that but on the same time I was like it makes sense to me I felt like it was something genuine so I loved it so much I think the other thing that I remember from like when I first walked through their showroom was that what was on the runway was this like really extreme, the full 100% expression of the Rick Owens lifestyle, the Rick Owens aesthetic. But if you walked into the showroom and you saw those like rows and rows of leather jackets Mm -hmm. and rows and rows of beautiful jersey 
easy to wear knitwear. You could also see that the other thing that they'd mastered was this idea that you could take really extreme, sometimes out of this world aesthetic from a runway and turn it into something that anybody could buy into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I saw like how also people can be like so comfortable with themselves. And I think it was a key for me as well to see that like, you have this lady dressed in a certain way, but also she knows how to conduct a business and exactly what you said. Like, it's fantastic to see this. And like, people are far from understanding when I say this story with Rico and because it's actually the opposite of our DNA at Casablanca, but it's still one of my biggest inspiration. So sometimes the inspiration is not in the form, it's really in the essence of things. Yeah, and the spirit and the in a way, raison d'être of why a brand can so fully align with its founder. And we'll get to Casablanca in a minute. But then after this exposure backstage, Rick Owens, like what happens next? After we start thinking about doing this store, Pigalle, and at the beginning it was more a store with like so many brands and we wanted to put our t-shirt and hoodie in the store. So Back in the days, like Stefan designed a store and like it become like something towards the use of Paris, you know. So we had our stickers all around the clubs, all around the parties, all around the subway, all around the buses stop and all that. And more and more, the conversation grew around us and then it becomes a brand. And it was like really surprising for us to be able to exist in the scene of Paris where nobody really looks like us at the time and not even just a color thing, but also a term of style because we were quite hip hop kids, you know, at the end of the day. So we were like quite, we were, and we always been outsiders and yeah, we created this thing and we were doing also our parties. There was named Pain Chocolat and further down the line, I created our club called Le Pompon where we did like after parties for Louis Vuitton, for Givenchy, for the big names. Somehow it happens because we were the new kids on the block, you know? So a brand is born out of this relationship you have with Stefan. What did he do and what did you do? Me, I was more into the marketing side of things, like the event side of things, the community side of things. And he was more like the designer of the brand because at the time, like, I couldn't, like, find the confidence to become this guy. I was absolutely okay to be number two because sometimes you think it's already good to be number two. And why not? Because you need number twos. But it's true that like I couldn't express myself because also I didn't have like the confidence and it wasn't my time, you know. But with years, I understood that I have a point of view. The more I grow, the more I traveled, I understood that there is things that I love and there is things that represent me a bit like Rick in his world, but in a totally different aesthetic. So with the years, I get the confidence and And also, you know, with creating the clubs, designing the clubs, designing the uniform, designing everything, creating me more and more confidence. And I understood that I had something to say in aesthetics and, you know, designing the couches, designing the flyers, everything like was a build up, you know. It's almost like learning by doing. I kind of, you know, I wasn't a writer or trained writer or journalist. And lots of young people ask me, like, how can you learn how to be a a writer. And I said, well, you just have to write a lot. And the more you write, the more you find your voice. And it feels like that's kind of what happened with you. Yeah. It's like, this is it to be a designer. It's like, if you want to design, let's say a glass, you know, and you imagine your glass to be a certain shape, it's easy. Just put a circle and you create your shape and boom, you are a designer. You're not Oscar Niemeyer yet, but you're on your way. You already created your first glass. And I think like, in design in general, I think if you know colors, if you understand colors and proportion, you can literally design everything. So this is how I get into it. Someone told me that long time ago. If you understand proportions and colors and you have a bit of sociological reading, you can design anything you want. A car, a building, a piece of clothes, a piece of furniture. It's all the same process. You studied some design though, yeah, right? Yeah, you went you went to architecture yeah, school. Yeah. So that's why this Niemeyer reference comes through. Did that help you yeah, in always. becoming a designer and like a fashion designer? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think like really architecture is always one of my first inspiration. 
because I think like it's the mother of all arts. Like I feel like in architecture, you have everything. You have music, you have fashion, you have everything in architecture. So the fact that like I had like a closer view and understanding on architecture and the emotional part of architecture lead me to do the things that were more personal to me on the everyday basis, which is the clothes, because we were like fashion kids at the end of the day. We always buy clothes. We always travel to find new brands in Japan and, and so on. So for me, it was like a revelation to understand that all the things work together, if that makes sense. Yeah. So tell me about the creation of Casablanca. At some point, you decide you have the confidence. You don't want to be the number two guy anymore. What inspired you to create the brand? And why did you decide to found it here in London? So at the beginning, the brand was like in my head for like three, four years before we started the brand. But it's supposed to be part of Pigalle, to be totally clear with you. Like I didn't fully find the confidence by then. But honestly, the more I grew up, the more I thought about it. And the more I had like personal revelations, the more I knew that the brand would be too big for any other container than itself. And I think like after three, four years of waiting, of talking with my friends and like pushing the dates and everything, I'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to do it by myself. And I feel like it's good enough by itself. Was it hard to leave Pigalle? Very hard. Very hard to leave Pigalle because it's all I knew. Like I had my clubs and all that, but mentally and like in terms of fashion, it's all I had. My question was like, if I leave Pigalle, is people going to start thinking what I'm doing with my silk shirts and my colorful things that I had in my mind are interested in or not? People might just think like it's a flop or it's just not interesting enough for the fashion world in general or the, you know. So yeah, it was very hard. And it's also like breaking up from a long relationship as well. So it's like, it takes time to process, but also the fire inside me to create this brand was so big. And I knew also deep down because I feel like everything is, it's inside me is always like this, like full confidence and full doubt. So in between those two, there is like some fire and this is how I created the brand, by like being very doubtful and very confident. Yeah, you kind of need to take, it's in a way, it's like blind faith. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like somehow at some point you just need to take the leap and see what happens. So, And there is nothing for you in the past. So you have to go to the future because when you look back, there's nothing for you there. It's like there is no space. There was no space for me to grow. I had to create what I wanted to create because the feeling of not accomplishing my own vision was too hard. And like, I had to go out of this comfort zone that everybody talks about. Okay. So tell me about that vision. Cause we talked earlier about how Rick Owens has manifested his aesthetic, his lifestyle, his vision into this brand. How did, how does Casablanca represent you? First of all, Casablanca represents my vision of the world. I think like the beauty that you can see in Casablanca, it's only inspired by what I love in the world. So I think there is all those inspirations could be like the Memphis Milano movement or Aristotle Nassis or certain uh, hotel lifestyle, many different inspirations, like my beautifully shocking moment of like discovering the Hermes scarves, you know, all those things. I don't know, going to uh, Singapore and discovering the Raffles Hotel and all those travels make me understand that like, oh, there is a certain aesthetic that I don't fully know, but I resonate with me, you know? So wait, let me understand that a bit better because in a way, those were things that you had no access to growing up. The Hermes scarf, the Raffles Hotel. These are things that were, you know, as a, in a way you were looking at and admiring from far away or from the outside or for the first time. And somehow that lifestyle, that luxury, that aesthetic, that Memphis Milano yeah. movement, why do you think it spoke to you so much? Was it because it was something you didn't have or? Yeah, it was exotic to me. It was very exotic to me. And since a very young age, actually, in Paris, we had this culture in the 90s and early 2000s of like dressing up in Lacoste tracksuit as I often say, like doctors who go play tennis on a Sunday. We know 
that we're not going to go to the country club. We know we're not going to go play tennis, but just the fact that we could dress like this with an Hermes scarf, Cartier glasses, Lacoste tracksuit, it opens a certain like window in your mind. And like, I think this is what fashion does. It opens a certain option of dreaming of a certain things. And I think like this is the starting point when I start looking at the guys who grew up in my area who were older than me, but they were like wearing Cartier glasses. And it wasn't really foreign to us because we live in Paris. So we see older bourgeois people wearing those kind of things. When you go to the doctor, you have those kind of glasses and everything. But it was also very contradictive with where we grew up. So seeing those guys who, when I was like 12 years old, they were maybe 20 years old. And they were like young men who were dressing like super elegantly, like with the Lacoste polo, with a nice watch. Like, you know, had this French elegance. We were like, those guys can really dress. And it really stays with me, this kind of like exotism of like the bourgeoisie made by and dressed by someone who not coming from there. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Wow, okay. So it's this aspirational quality, seeing this lifestyle and not having access to it, but creating it for yourself. Yeah. So how does that connect with the customer you think that actually buys into Casablanca? I don't think you have a direct link for me the brand is like a church in the middle of the village 
And this is how I want it to be. I think the brands that I love, the brands that I grew up looking at, I think they are brands who are strong enough to be in the center of the village. And I think like when you look at a Chanel, for example, or, or a Nike or an Apple, like all those brands are in the center of the village. What do you mean by center of the village? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to explain it. It's like, let's say a Chanel bag can be desired by a 12 years old girl, a 60 years old woman, a 45 years old lady. You know, everybody loved the Chanel. It's in the center. It's not targeting towers like skateboarders or, you know what I mean? It's like, it's more like its own thing and the communities goes around it and come join the cult, if I can say. Mm -hmm. And this is how I want it to be Casablanca. I don't want it to be targeted towards one demographic. And this is what I want for Casablanca is to be strong enough that like a 16 years old wants a t-shirt, a 30 years old wants a shirt, a 60 years old wants a pair of glasses, let's say. Do you have a product like that, that you see as the one that kind of, because the most successful fashion businesses, as we discussed earlier, you know, Rick has his jersey stuff and his his leather stuff. Like now that you've built this brand, For people who are not familiar with it, like how do you describe the kind of product mix of Casablanca and what it's known for? I think, first of all, we're very strong with our silk shirts. And silk shirt was something when I started the brand was like the antithesis of fashion. You know, it's like silk printed colorful shirt in a world of every clothes or more or less black on the runways was the contradiction totally with the era where I was living in. I think like, first of all, is the silk shirt that like is our signature product. And then probably then you have a very strong knitwear offer. You have a very strong sportswear offer and we're starting to grow in the suiting and tailoring. But yeah, if there is one central product at Casablanca, maybe there is the first product that people tap into is the silk shirt. And how did you get the collection off the ground. So because you'd left Pigalle, you have this vision for this brand built around maybe initially with silk shirts. Silk shirts, tracksuits, and a bit of tailoring. From yeah, the so first tell season. me about the first collection. Like what was... First season, I started the brand with 3,000 euros. So I really don't have money to start the brand. And I created two suits, two silk shirts, and like about nine different colors of, of tracksuits made out of uh, terry cloth. So I go and bought terry cloth, like that, like people do towels with, you know, and like three or four T-shirts. And that was how we're offering. And I did the first showroom at my mom's place in Belleville. And like buyers from Browns, buyers from United Arrows and Sons, Isetan, Maxfield, Essence came to my mom's house. How did you get them to show up? I don't know. Like, I think what happened is I posted the first picture on Instagram and people start calling me and say, we want to buy this brand. What was that picture? It was a picture of just a guy wearing Casablanca. Like it was the first picture of Casablanca. And like people said, okay, we want to buy your brand. We want to put it in our stores. And I was like, Browns, like this is a a store. Like this is serious. Essence, United Hours and Sons. Isetan, which is like the Bon Marché or the Arots of Tokyo. I mean, surrealistic. Like they came to my mom's house. Some of them, they thought it was a a set design. Someone told me great set design. So what, describe your mom's house for us? I don't know. It's very Moroccan, you know, like, you know, you have Moroccan furniture. We serve tea because it's all we could afford. And that's part of the tradition in Morocco. Yeah, it is part of the tradition. It was the, the best way to start the brand. And like, I didn't have money to rent a showroom. So I was like, you know what? Like, let's just do it here. What did your mom think? All of these people showing up at her house. You know, she, she, till no long ago, my mom thought I was selling advertising on internet. That's how she thought you made money. That's how she thought I made money. And my club was a cafe for her. (laughs) It's like, you are at the cafe. It's like, no, mom, it's not a cafe. It's a club. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, she didn't fully get it, but she'd just be like supportive and be like, yeah, whatever, whatever works, you know, just do it, you know. So all those buyers show up for the first season. How did you produce the collection with 3,000 euros? So I got like... um, 3,000 euros, I produced the samples with it. 
And then I start receiving, like I ask 30% of each buyer's deposit. Yeah. So I, I use the deposit and I just do it, you know, and I put a deposit myself for the things. And then, yeah. But sure off your price points are not, it's not inexpensive, right? Casablanca is pricey. Yeah, it's pricey. So where did you produce to get that level of quality to justify that price point? Yeah. With 3,000 euros, how did you do that? The product justified the price. It was just because I wanted to do this level of silk shirts that like the same level of the biggest brand in the world that I go and find the best silk people. We worked with some people that used to do silk at Pigalle. So I find a connection through this way and I got like a few samples. And like really it was like just one or two shirts of each. So it wasn't like a big set. So it was easy for me to produce, I mean, to sample one or two sets. The, the pattern wasn't right. Nothing wasn't really working, but the quality was there and the design of the, of the print was there. So, yeah, I think like when people saw the quality, they were like, okay, this is interesting. We don't see that. And it's made in a modern way. And you showed it in an apartment. Yeah. In Bellevue, in Bellevue, that looked like it was a set design. So people for Japanese like, people, it was it looks like a set incredible. design. Incredible, and they still remember that. Like yeah. buyers, still time to time, when I see them, they say, "I remember when you I came to your mom's house." They said, "We're so happy because we saw the brand growing, and this is great. Like this is a great feeling for them and for me because they believed in me, and." I wanted also to execute the best way possible for the people who believed in me from the start. So tell me about the business today. You've gone from this small, really a capsule collection to a global business. Tell us about how the business looks today. One of the key elements is the arrival of Nadia. She's uh, the CEO of my company. She brought a structure. She find a way to get some investment, very seed investment but we did the best out of it. And we grow from this 3,000 uh, euro sampling phase to today a 45 million uh, euros business. 45 million a year in revenue. Yeah. And most of that is wholesale? Most of it is wholesale. We have 10% of non-wholesale. And that's through our website? Yeah, our website and the rest is like... All around the world, yeah. And We're in 320 retailers. Do you plan to do your own store? Yeah, we're opening our own store next year. We starting by Paris and LA. Okay. Yeah, Paris first. That's a pretty incredible journey. And it's not just down to Nadia, I'm sure. I mean, and I'm sure you have a whole team. Yeah, we have an old team. Like, we have amazing team. Like, we have this guy, uh, Steve, who is still my uh, co-pilot, we call him. That was like already before we started the brand, starting work with me in graphics and gave me so much time. So he's with us still and he's have like a very strong position as, a, as an art director of the brand. And like we built the brand as a, like a very organic team coming together. And those two people are from London. So that's why one of the reasons why I moved to London is because of them. And also because it's very hard to build a company in, in France. I wanted an atelier. We have a full atelier in London, like where we sample all the pieces that you see in the shows and everything. So yeah, it was one of the reasons why I came to London because of my team growing and being a UK-based team. And also financially, uh, London is way more welcoming when it comes to building a business. Got it. What's been the toughest moment for you on this journey of building the company? It's many things like cash flow was very hard because in fashion, you had to build a coherent gymnastic around money. And the day you think you have money on the bank account, it's the day you have to pay everything. And like you have to start from zero kind of. And the more order you have, the more things you have to pay. So this is kind of like this hard cycle of finding the right balance between what people pay you but also you have to pay your next order. So this is usually how fashion companies falling is because they have too much orders and they're victim of their success. But in only, like you founded the company in 2018, it's 2022 now, you're doing 45 million euros in turnover. How did you find the working capital to to kind of grow the company? 
We did some short-term loans. We did some uh, convertible no- loans with investors that like we had to pay them before the things was converted because otherwise they would have shares. It's just full gymnastic. And that's why I was saying Nadia, she's key in this because she have this background as a lawyer, but also she did a business school. So she have like, and she used to be a big manager in the music industry. So for her, it was a new thing. She's not coming from fashion, but somehow we learn how to play the game and we're not done. Like I think like, we still have to be careful with money. And it sounds like a lot of money, 45 millions, but 45 millions in fashion is very small compared to the Gucci and to the Chanel of this world, you know? We're still a very tiny, tiny brand. It sounds like it's a lot and it's a lot of money, but it's not like we're making money on the side. We're like re-injecting everything. You're putting, investing everything back into the company. Yeah. Speaking of difficult things, earlier you said to, you know, in the conversation, you said when you were launching your own business, that one of the things you were worried about was what everyone would think, Mm. you know, what the fashion industry would think. And I can imagine that for someone who comes from a completely different world and for people who haven't kind of seen the inside of the the very white fashion establishment in France, still extremely uniform in terms of where people come from, how they break in. Now that you're, you're a successful entrepreneur, but you must have faced some challenges along the way in terms of your background and identity and walking into rooms. Frankly, there's no one like you. Yeah. I think like when you live in France, it becomes like a thing that you have to fight, but you have to never accept it. You cannot like become complacent with it. I don't want it to be like the center of the conversation around me or around my brand, because I think like it's way more interesting to look at what we do, but there is a certain parameter around this. Like we have to say like, yes, it's a fact that there is no much people that looks like me as a designer, but just also in the industry. But it's for us to create new examples for the new kids that come in next. There is like already uh, dreams of being football players or being actors, but there is no real dreams of being an architect or being designers in this community, you know? And I think like for me, what's important is also to create this new type of examples that like I lacked when I was younger. And yet the challenges was every day, you know, it's like in still sometime the other day I was going to my show, police stopped me in the street and searched my pockets. It's an actual thing that happens every day. It's not like now I'm, I have my, my own brand and it stopped. Yeah, you, just because you become a successful entrepreneur and fashion designer doesn't mean you leave your identity in the background. Like that's something that you take with you everywhere. Yeah. And this thing also reminds me that it's a reality. I'm going to my show, literally, I'm taking the car to go to my show. Before I enter the car, they stop me, search my clothes, search my pockets, check my identity. Who am I? Why do I look like this? What I'm doing in this area? And like, it's just a reality. So it just reminds me that there is other people who looks like me, who's like struggling every day. So maybe I'm way more privileged because I can travel all around the world and like meet new people and also express myself. But it's also my duty to also accomplish the biggest thing in the world, to become an example. And that's why I want to be in the highest level in the world. I want to be number one. I only want to be number one because I think like, It has to happen because I want it to be an example for the rest of the people from my background or not from my background, but it has to exist. And I also want to be a new French house and a new major designer for our generation. So beside the fact that I'm a North African Muslim guy, I also just want to represent the new face of France. And I want to be that guy. I just wanted to be that guy because it has an impact directly on the society, more than just having a political view on this or on that, but it's actually changing the perception that people have of uh, people of color in general, you know? Which is not a conversation that's really happened before now in France. I mean, I feel like in a way, the conversation on race and identity in France is decades behind maybe the conversations happening in North America and other places. What is the French establishment in fashion like with you now that you are maybe one of the most successful young 
fashion designers in the entire country. You know, you can count on one hand, I can count Marine Serre, Jacques Mus, you know, and yourself, maybe a couple of others. What are they like with you now? The big brands, you mean? Just the, the, the people who run the industry in France, the Chambre Syndicale, the, the CEOs of the big brands, the other more established designers who come from traditional backgrounds. Yeah, I guess like I only get love from them because I think they're smart enough to see that I represent something new. So in terms of positioning, but also in terms of background, I think only have, have love from them, you know? I think like, it's very interesting to see that like I'm welcomed in the world of fashion, but I think I have to thank also Virgil for that. Virgil and I, we've been friends many, many years. We've been friends since I met him in 2009, 2010 in Paris till he died. And I think like we have to pay homage to this guy because he break the rules. In a way, sometimes it takes someone from the outside to bust down the door and say, actually, I think, you know, in my conversations with Virgil, one of the last few conversations I had with him, and actually at his first Vuitton show, I took a picture from that show and he ended up reposting Amazing it. show, it, by the way. Yeah. And he said, you can do it too. Yeah, you can do it too. But he wasn't only talking to African-American kids. He was talking to everyone. Everybody. Who's been shut out yeah. by this very exclusive system. Yeah. Virgil was a door opener. And like he dedicated his life to the youth. And that's why I respected the guy, because even though we have two different aesthetics, totally different, but how many times we talked about this, how many times like we, we shared this. And I think he was really someone unique because he really want people to win. And that makes a massive difference when he posted this or when he said, youth always win. It just show how his uh, will to conquer was for him, but also for the rest of the world. And I had to respect that from the get-go. Like, and, and, he, and he really opened the door. And I'm never going to say enough thank you to him because he did the impossible. What a legacy. He did the impossible. What do you want your legacy to be? When you think about all the young people living in Belleville now, yeah. and they look at you, yeah. And you're just at the beginning of your trajectory. I think that's clear. I want to see people who are one day better than me at what, what I do. I want to see more clothing brand. I want to see more furniture brand. I want to see more architects. I want to see buildings created by people of colors. I don't see much buildings designed by architects from these backgrounds. And I think like it's major, it's very important. This is what I would love to live and in my legacy. And for a kid out there who has the potential or the interest or the talent or the cur- even just the curiosity. Is the key. What do, you, what do you say to them? How can they learn from your story? All I have to say, it's out there. It's a lot of work, but you can make it too. It's possible. As Virgil said, what you were saying, you can do it too. And it's true. You can do it too. It's like, this is what I remember every day. When I look at the people that I love as a fashion designer, as Gabriel Chanel or Yves Saint Laurent or Pierre Cardin, I can do it too. But they're just from different backgrounds. But during their time, they had also other reasons to be excluded. As like Gabriel Chanel was a woman who was from a background that wasn't easy, but she made it. And now this is one of the biggest brands in the world. Saint Laurent had like so many barriers to knock down before it became the Saint Laurent that we know. So basically, me, I only love to go for the impossible possibilities. And it's one of the slogans that I love to say. I want to go for the impossible possibilities. Yeah. This is also why it's exciting to do what we do, because I think Casablanca is one of, or maybe the first luxury brand really that born on the internet. Like I'm talking, I'm not talking about a streetwear brand that is expensive because I think there is a massive difference between a streetwear brand that are expensive or luxury streetwear. And like, I think with Casablanca, we created a luxury brand. And this is my dream is to create a luxury house. I want in 50 years time, people to remember Casablanca as like this house 
of fashion, but being created in 2018. And On the internet the with one post and a picture that drove a bunch of very busy buyers to go onto the outskirts of Paris to discover your brand in your mother's home, which is kind of incredible. So anyone can do it. If you can do it, yeah. anyone can do it. You just have to find yourself in a way. You have to find what, what you want to say to the world. Really, it's like one of the central thing when I was talking about recurrence, this is it. I seen in recurrence, I didn't want it to do the same clothes that Rick were doing, but I wanted to do my own version of recurrence, which is literally the opposite it of it. It is the opposite. <laughs> yeah. But I see what you mean. It's that spirit. It's that essence. Essence. Yeah, exactly. And this is, I think, what people have to find. If tomorrow you want to do like the next Chanel, don't try to do what Chanel used to do, but understand what's her background, why she was answering a certain question at certain time in the society when women needed to dress up like this to renew themselves. And I think like for us, it's a bit the same. It's like, what's the answer in a world where everything is like a bit deconstructed, everything is a bit against something. What would be Casablanca as like a pro brand? What about being okay with the world? What about like looking at the beauty of the world or treating sport as a classical thing and create actually the classics of our generation? Because if you continue to deconstruct everything, there is nothing else to deconstruct. Maybe someone will deconstruct Casablanca in 20 years. Fair enough. But we cannot just be anti-something. And the, the main thing with Casablanca is we are pro-something. We are for the beauty. We are for sport. We are for well-being. We are for this lifestyle of like dreaming bigger, the impossible possibilities. So I think like it's being pro. It, it's also what Casablanca is today. Sharaf, merci. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Vartan, and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.